from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. What is happening, security gang? Welcome to another episode of the Cyber Hub Podcast. It's our first Friday conversation for the year 2024, and I couldn't have asked for a better guest. For those who don't know, Ravid Circus is the CPO over at Simplicity. And Ravid, welcome to the show. Happy Friday. How are you doing, buddy? Great. Hey, James. Happy to be here. And uh, there's nothing like Friday, you know. Nothing like a Friday, um, especially in, you know, in Israel, because Friday's your day off. So, yes. um, you know, uh, allegedly uh, for day off. I, I don't know. Israelis outside of Saturday is the only day where I've never seen an Israeli not work, right? rest of the week everyone's always working everyone you know it's so funny when i lived in israel like saturday like the mo- 10 minutes after shabbat was over you finish the havdalah and your phone starts to blow up right it's just <laughs> business is exactly. back up and running um i'm really excited to have you with us uh today because uh, we've got a really amazing topic that we want to start to talk about in 2024 and that's scaling vulnerability management which happens to be the very basics of any security program if you can't manage vulnerabilities might as well not be in security am i I overstating it no i don't think so i think that you know vulnerability management is one of the most uh, the oldest probably problem in in security but also one of the more bizarre ones because security teams has responsibility to take care of vulnerabilities but they cannot actually remediate they cannot install a patch they cannot make code change they cannot do anything to actually resolve vulnerabilities besides going and talk to the people that can actually do that, the developers, the, the engineers, the operations. So, so it's really like the oldest problem, but, but really for more than 20 years that I'm in the cybersecurity, that there was no real solution because it's a lot of, of communication uh, because you cannot close the loop by yourself as opposed to many other things that the security domain. So, so I think, yes, it's it's an old problem. It's one of the most basic ones, but it's becoming bigger and bigger every year uh, in, in the as, last few years. As someone who does a daily news show, Monday through Thursday, we typically start talking about vulnerabilities within the first umph second of the show starting. Right? There's always different vulnerabilities. Uh, there's always something happening and if you look at the cis top 20 or even if you look at nist or any sort of framework identifying your vulnerabilities is the number one task to do there right so there's that you know but but when you look at vulnerability management specifically and 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 vulnerability management and patching you you kind of brought up two very main points but it's, it's kind of out of control. And my first thing about vulnerability management being out of control is CISA's efforts to create some sort of catalog known as the KEV catalog, knowing exploitable vulnerabilities that has over a thousand vulnerabilities listed in it. Do you, I have a personal opinion on it and my personal and professional opinion meet that that's just too much, right? That I think you'll lose people with, with that many exploitable vulnerabilities um do you agree disagree what what's your thought on the kev catalog from a vulnerability management perspective so i think i think that the 
I, I can see both the upsides and downsides of, uh, of the Kev catalog. On, on one hand, it really helped you to focus. And as you said, 1,000 is, is, it might be too much, but with 25,000 vulnerabilities being, new vulnerabilities being published every year, that might be somewhat helpful. But I think, so, so, so I think it helps you to focus and, and you need to sort out from that 1,000 list what is really relevant for you, because many of the technologies that are in the CISA Kev, you might not be having in your organization. So, so the number might be, might be smaller. I think the main problem with the CISA Kev is that it kind of take organization and put them in a, pro, in, a, in a place when they're not trying to make themselves resilient. So we will take care of the CISA Kev, and then what? We sit and wait, and the next time that CISA Kev will publish a new vulnerability that is relevant for me, it's like a fire in the house because there is already non-exploitable, and I didn't take care of, didn't take care of it because it was not in the CISA Kev before. So I think that we need to find the, the right way to balance between going only after those that we know that are really bad and kind of preparing the organization not to be in a fire drill when a new one is being discovered and added to the CISA camp. So it's a kind of a balance between, you know, focusing and reacting to those things and actually build the more resilient organizations and remediation processes. Yeah, so so I think you bring up something very, very, very important. And I know that some of the comments are going to be here. Well, it's typically just for federal agencies. You're right. But the way board of directors and the way executives look at anything that if it's good for the federal government, it's good for us. And that becomes some sort of standards. And when you have thousands on there, it becomes overwhelming. Um, and while, yeah, the efforts are good, unfortunately, it, it, it creates a challenge to deal with it. And one of the bigger challenges of dealing with vulnerability management is staffing, right? Right. When you have to spend money and you've got a budget, right, and you're trying to run a staff, how much, how many people do you really put to focus on vulnerabilities, you know, and, and, and kind of, you know, th that number of dealing with people who actually understand vulnerabilities, right? Because it, it's not just finding the vulnerability, it's understanding the impact of that vulnerability, right? Right. The, yeah. Go ahead. It's not just the impact. The impact derives prioritization and the importance, but it also to find the owner and understand what is the remediation item, what is the action item with that vulnerability. And it is to actually communicate and validate that it was really, really fixed. At, at the end of the day, the process of vulnerability management is a long part of preparing for remediation, some part of executing the remediation, and then another part of tracking whether it was remediated and all the reporting that you need because as you said it's it's such a basic practice that you require to show reporting for any regulations which is regulation which is art out there whether it's a SOC 2 whether it's PCI whether it's ISO 27001 each of them require the vulnerability management reporting so it's not enough just to get things done you actually need also to track and report and measure and therefore, what you find out is that the manual processes involved with that, you know, vulnerability remediation are actually sometimes take longer and bigger effort than the remediation action itself. So, so I think that that the the combination of uh, all of that with the amount of vulnerabilities that are being generated actually puts security teams that no matter how much staffing and budget you have, if you don't 
automated, if you don't create a scalable process, then you have actually no way to succeed. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 you've got to scale it, you've got to monitor it, you've got to run it, you've got to be able to identify what it is. Every time we talk about vulnerability management, right, every panel, and Ravid, you and I, uh, we've actually met in person. I don't think a lot of people realize this. You, you, you know, we, you did a a beautiful dinner in Atlanta, and, and I was I was lucky enough to be invited to attend the event, and it was the first time you and I met in a room. And I recall us sitting in that room, and we're having a a, a, a conversation around you know selling vulnerability management internally or or dealing with it. But but one of the bigger topics we talked about was visibility, right? A lot of times you've, you you don't have visibility to specific parts of the business because you don't know it exists. What I like to call shadow applications or what we've known before, shadow IT or shadow databases and all these different things. How do you start to manage the visibility side in order to really understand one, I've got staffing issues. Number two, there's a Kev catalog with thousands of them, but I may have thousands more that I don't even know about. Yeah, so so I think I think you're right. I think there is one gap in visibility. It's the um, unknown that we don't know about. Okay, but there right. is also the unknown that we know about. One of the things that that we see as we talk to vulnerability managers is that they have a visibility and they have all those findings, but the people that should actually fix that don't have that visibility because imagine a security team of three people getting 1 million vulnerabilities. They are starting talk to button, how much they can cover. 100, 200, 2000. It means that one team or two remediation teams might take a lot, might get a lot of vulnerabilities to fix. While the rest of the organization sitting in the dark, we know about those vulnerabilities. We are not able to get into providing them to the teams that actually fix that. So. You know, shadow IT is the unknown that we don't know about, but actually there is many of those. It's the unknown that we know about, but the security team that works in a single backlog, top to bottom, can actually don't get into looking looking at them and making sure that the, the important ones are being addressed. Well, and a lot of times the business won't let you install your vulnerability management tool to gain visibility and measure you know the vulnerabilities in a specific aspects of the business. I've, I've, I've heard it and seen it even at that dinner you hosted. Some people say, well, the business won't give us access to these tools. They say we don't need to have access to them or they don't deem them to be something we should be looking at because it's not customer facing. It's internal. It's whatever the case may be. And, and I think that creates a gap for practitioners, right? I, I agree. I think, I think that we start to see some changes, some changes in that respect. So, yeah, you know, you and you and I. Let's not talk about how many years we are in the cybersecurity arena. Let's let's not do that. Don't let the gray hair fool you. <laughs> but but yes, that was the practices uh, many years ago. If if it's ain't broken, don't try to fix it. Okay. But the reality is that you see today more modern development team, more modern IT teams, the one that have like full stack responsibility. Take take the 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 average cloud development team. They are responsible for code, they're responsible for the infrastructure, for the operating system of their of their dockers and tools, they're responsible for the networking and, and routing and IP filtering of their workloads in the cloud. So they start to be happy with also being able to be responsible to security. So, so it's a long way to go, and it's only on more modern tools, more kind of uh, 
cloud native, born in the cloud uh, uh, teams, but you actually start to see that shifting, and I think that we will see that uh, more. But indeed, there is there is still a lot of a lot of pushbacks about you know why it's dangerous, why it's risky. Okay, so we will put an uh, effort in, on that, and I think that security teams need to be able to communicate more clearly why they are chasing something specific and not chase uh, other yeah. things and in, hand in hand with the remediation teams actually trying to to do more uh, in, in that aspect you're bringing up an unbelievable topic and i think it's a very valid one right um we talked about you've talked about automation you've talked about staffing but but, but there's one one kind of sometimes big disconnect which is how do I explain the vulnerability to the people who built it, right? Not everyone understands app application development or, or, or code or, you know, managing clusters and, 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 and microservices and finding these different vulnerabilities and being able to communicate them in the language. So you and I speak security. We're also lucky because you and I can speak more than just security from a technology perspective. You and I could potentially go and sit with a developer or an engineer and have a pretty high level conversation with them. Maybe not get into the micro of what they do, but get into the general uh, topics. A lot of times, you know, when we look at vulnerability management roles, they're really entry level analyst roles. And a lot of these folks don't always have the, the technological knowledge. There's a technological debt that exists in the way we present that vulnerability to the business, right? And that's where I think automation and AI, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, can help fill those gaps. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the questions that we need to ask ourselves is what is the level of information that we need and whether it is security oriented or remediation oriented. And I'll give you the best example that I can. You know, take your Chrome browser on your desktop. Let's say that you didn't update the last five versions you probably accumulated like 20 different CVs on that Chrome browser over those five Minimum, versions. right? They typically have Minimum. about 20 per Exactly. Hour. Now, yeah. the, the action item is to install the latest Chrome browser. So why do you care if there is a 20 CVEs? What's their number? Uh, you know, what's their risk? If one of them is critical, then you are going to fix all of them. So maybe in our, in our communication, in the way that we actually need to start talk with these people is to actually stop talking about problems and talking about solutions, not talk about vulnerabilities, but actually talk about remediation items, because many times different problems has the same solution, which actually make the communication and effectiveness and collaboration much easier of, you know, you need to deploy latest version of Chrome across these 500 machines, as opposed to you have 10,000 vulnerabilities on Chrome. That's the exact same thing. And right. I think that part of it is to find a balance between talking about security and risk and why we want that patch to be installed uh, with the, what you actually need to do is just to install the patch. Let's not overthink it. So, so I think that we need to find that balance. We as the security teams, we need to find that balance in, in communicating with the, with the, with the respective remediation teams. Yeah, you bring up an unbelievable point, which kind of takes me to the zero days, right? And the zero days were constantly 
looking at you know the lock 4j that's famous lock for shell and so many others you know we see security people rush you know to the fire there right they rushed to the scene of the crime uh to get it remediated how do you see some of these vulnerabilities actually being handled right like what's the best way to go about zero days so so to be honest i think the best way to to handle zero days is to actually make sure that you have a good remediation process on the day-to-day on the business as usual it's pretty much you know like you do in, in your school you do earthquake kind of drills you do a drill so whenever it's real you actually know already what to do if the organization is already in a good cadence of vulnerability remediation it means that he has a good asset inventory he has a good software inventory he know who owns each asset and when you come to that zero day you actually can operate that remediation campaign very very effectively so actually the way to handle zero days is by having a very good and mature remediation process on your business as usual for the known vulnerabilities and then you actually can can take the entire organization and help help have him work very fast on, on resolving that uh, that uh, the zero day and not trying to figure out everything from the beginning when when you have your your back against the wall so so something i loved that you shared when we met that i thought was refreshing is we didn't just talk about vulnerability management but we talked about managing vulnerabilities with the business and i think the most enjoyable part of that dinner beyond the food obviously in your company was your specific conversation around that um you know a lot of times like i said we speak security the business speaks business the different departments speak what they have to do right if you speak to engineering or development all they care about is i got to finish these sprints that's my kpi right we, my developers they've got to get all of this you know workload done this specific period of time and a lot of time when we miscommunicate we miss out how does CISO sell vulnerability management to the business what are we missing how do, how does security practitioners not just a CISO but an analyst a director a VP like what are we missing so I think I think it's an interesting discussion because they being go to the software development part of the world okay go to the engineering manager of a, of a software company or, or, or an application they actually care a lot about the results of their quality assurance testing they care about a lot about bugs they care a lot about how many bugs they have in each version how quickly i fix them and vulnerabilities at the end of the day are bugs okay there are some indication to the quality security wise of the product of the application of the infrastructure that that you have in place and i think that as we start to realize that and as we start to think about it in a very similar way that this is part of what we deliver to our customers is part of what we ensure to our investors or to our board of directors it's a quality of my organization as an IT oriented organization i think this is the the right way to look at that because it also help your the security team counterparts the IT the developers to say okay i have my features i have my functional bugs but i also have my security bugs they just call it vulnerabilities but it's part of my responsibility it's part of the quality of the things that i'm 
manufacturing that I'm delivering to my customer. And I think that it helps a lot to compare it to, to other issues that exist in the software development in, in the IT, which are very trivial that you want to take care of outages, you want to take care of bugs, you want to take care of, of the quality of the things that, that you develop. I think it helps a lot in making the, making the security discussion not that thing on the side that always talks about what can happen, but actually the mainstream, the day-to-day -day thing of this is part of my overall uh, quality and commitment to, to, to my organization's customer. Yeah, I, I love what you just brought up, the word quality, right? The only time you hear security people talk about quality is quality assurance, right? But we never talk about quality in, in the aspect of, a quality product to my customers or a quality product to to the business in in, in very differently security and quality aren't words that are very uh very, very commonly together you've, you've actually given me a very interesting blog to think about now uh ravid um so so that that that's that's actually very that, that that's a great point let's talk a little bit about the business though right the business will look at security and they see security as being the guys that are chicken little screaming that, you know, the, 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 the world's on fire, right? The sky's on fire. It's, you know, whatever. Um, and, and, and yet the business cares about vulnerabilities, right? We know that secure development is a priority. We know that CISA is focusing on secure development. We know that, you know, the idea of harnessing security is by doing, you know, more kind of responsible development. Why should the business care about vulnerabilities? I mean, we've got listeners that aren't security practitioners. They're going to ask themselves this one question. Why should I care? It's security's problem, not mine. True. And I think that, you know, when I started my career in cybersecurity, someone came and told me, how do you secure your house? You have door, you have windows, you know, you have locks. And every night before you go to sleep, you go and, and close all of them. Okay. So why is it that bad to do that to your organization? If you know that there is a vulnerability, okay, that is known to be exploitable, that's like an open window, go and close it. And I, and I think that there are, there are two different forces that coming together when sending to the business. One, all of the regulations today actually requires you to do vulnerability management and to do it in a consistent program, which is measurable and audited, whether it's SOC 2, whether it's ISO, whether it's PCI, whether it's, it's other. So, so I think there is a regulated forcing functions to, to those organizations that, uh, that actually need to align with, with those regulations. But I think that on the other hand, vulnerability management, it's like your, your basic things to get your house insured you need to make sure that you lock the doors you need to make sure that you close the windows you need to make sure that you uh, that you don't leave anything open and vulnerability management vulnerabilities in general are the entrance points almost to everything okay in your organization and 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 i hope that if you take those security stuff okay to the real world discussion and actually compare it to your house or to your um, safes or to your cars, actually it's becoming very trivial that you actually need to close the entry points. You know, looking 
into the new year 2024 right i always say january always gives us the vulnerability management surprise right every january i think for the last three four years that i can remember we had a we had a crazy vulnerability in 2020 right before covid broke it was citrix i don't know if you remember but uh, citrix was to talk rsa that year rsa was in february right before kind of the covid lockdowns and we were all there going like oh wow this citrix vulnerability could really cause a lot of damage and then came COVID and obviously kind of drowned that out. You look at 2024, what what do you think are going to be the more challenging types of vulnerabilities we could encounter? And I'm asking you to predict a little bit here. So, and I know that's not your best quality <laughs> but, or how you like to do this, but what, what do you make of 2024 and vulnerability management? I think, I think that one of the things that, that you start to see, okay, is that we need to start thinking about vulnerability management on the, you know, wider point of view. So you mentioned Citrix and Log4j and, and others, which are all infrastructure vulnerabilities, but you also mentioned secure coding, okay? And we still didn't mention public S3 buckets. And we still didn't mention that admin on your SaaS application that doesn't have MFA. Okay. Yep. I think that I think that organization in 2024 need to start looking on all the type of security gaps as vulnerabilities, not just focusing on those CVEs, but actually look on the whether it's a, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's code, whether it's cloud, whether it's identity, and and start to to build a thought or a program on how you address all of that because that admin without MFA on your SaaS application is as bad as the Citrix vulnerability and can, can lead to, to very similar circumstances. And I think that the main thing is that organizations should start look at that this way because I think that will, will actually help a lot in, uh, in, in closing those gaps and not just chasing you know, single CVs. Yeah, I, I like the idea of internal uh, CVEs, right? Um, something I've done as a practitioner often is looked at internal vulnerabilities, and it's the stuff you talk about. Do we require um, additional authentication when someone's pushing something abroad, or do we just randomly trust it? Uh, do we, when someone's going to access databases or they're accessing potential PII? are we generating additional authenticity? Those are all vulnerabilities. Those are all gaps within your security program, but they all introduce uh, new, new challenges for practitioners. That's one thing. The other one is you want to build in, you know, we talked about secure code development. You want to build that into the process of right. your developers, right? You really want to be a secure, you, you know, it's, it's, it's my expectation of Eurovid that sometimes I think we as practitioners, and I say that, and 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 I don't mean any offense to my my peers, right? We often complain our security vendors aren't real partners; they just want to sell us. You know, you hear from their agent once a year, right? When it's renewal time. Right. But then at the same time, we do the same thing to the business. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And and there's a required partnership here. Like if, if 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 I work with Simplicity, Simplicity is my partner. At the same token, I've got to be a partner to the business. And if I'm not, then what am I doing? It's it's more than that. It's more than that. I think that we, 
I think that we need to democratize vulnerability management. And let me explain what I mean about that, okay? Our intuition as security guys is to keep all those weakness points very close to our chest and not share it with other people. But those other people are the people that actually need to fix that. So how they can know what they need to fix, how they can learn not to create that problem again if we didn't share it with them. I actually think that we need to go, you know, like ITSM and IT self-service motion actually moving to the point of IT services as a service provider. We actually need to start thinking about security team as a service provider to the development team. The development team are responsible for a secure application. We as the security team enable them to secure it by helping them to get the right problems and the right fundings prioritized based on the security context that we know. But actually, it's their responsibility, okay? And it's their, it's part of their uh, uh, role, We're taking that back to our quality discussion, to make sure that the applications are more secure. So actually, I think that organizations should push to a more self-service security, okay? Rather than our, our as a security team, opposite intuition of let's keep everything very close to our, our chest and let you know about that one single thing that you need to fix. Yeah, I mean, you're bringing up something that uh, I absolutely, you know, hate in vulnerability management, Excel, right? Whenever I, whenever any role I've ever taken where I've seen someone try to do vulnerability management with Excel, I typically go into a safe room and scream for, you know, five minutes and then I walk outside and go, all right, let's, let's move away from it. You cannot, I don't think in 2024, you can manage vulnerabilities by Excel. Yeah. I heard the CISO that told me that told me in a meeting. He said, "Every time that we start a meeting, and someone, the first question is, is who has the latest version of the spreadsheet?" I stop the meeting right away because if we need versions for spreadsheets about vulnerability management, I can never trust that the picture that people are painting to me are real, is real, is correct, is what I actually need to 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 care about, and I, and I think that's why. You know, part of, of the work here is to really the same way that you cannot think about, you know, doing software development without Jira or a like, or doing IT without a service now or a like, you know, why security team works in Excel? Okay. I think I think that those need to start thinking about how they can, you know, improve their productivity. You mentioned COVID a few times. Security teams are now in different locations, in different times, need to work on millions of findings and, and, and they do that through collaboration on, on spreadsheets that doesn't scale. You can you cannot get there. So, well, so it's error use. prone. It's error yeah. prone. It's very it's very hard. Well think of how instead of here's my problem with Excel. Logically speaking from a from an efficiency perspective, if you have a small team, right? You you're not a CISA with you know 50 people on your team, you're one with 10 or 12 people on your team. Do you want to utilize those people to do smart work while they're on the clock? You don't want them to do much. I don't want them doing data entry. Right. And what Excel is, is data entry. I don't want them doing data entry. I want them dealing with the challenge, right? But what, what we end up doing and the way we cause burnout and then I'm going to be the first to admit to it. I've done this in the past is we want these people to, we want these people and I, and I mean our team members to go out and, and find these vulnerabilities, 
talk to the people, help remediate them, and then do data entering. And then we wonder why they burn out. Then we wonder why security people burn out. Maybe yeah. because we don't give them the tools they need to expedite and, and be able to do their work effectively so they feel you know, mentally challenged uh, with their job. Like, how do I go about addressing and remediating this vulnerability? How do I go about writing it effectively in, you know, my tool? How do I explain it to the developer so that he understands the urgency in addressing this specific patch so that I can clear it off my log and get to my KPIs? Exactly. And, you know, in previous life, I was doing some audits for security. So I kind of prepared the output of all this, of, the, of all the tools, put that in a spreadsheet. I did the audit, came back with my conclusions, and then three months out, I was asked to go again and check how did how did, did that subunit improved. So I did that spreadsheet exercise all over again, and then I have to to compare my two versions just to say, did they fix anything from the last time I've been there? And when I did that, I actually realized that if I'm not able to do that, which is my single only task. There is actually no way that they can actually track and see and understand how they progressed, what they do, what they did by comparing spreadsheets from multiple different different tools. My own experience with that was actually very eye-opening in that sense that you cannot, you know, it was 2022, you cannot really keep practicing old habits of spreadsheets in the new highly dynamic environment that security teams are facing today. Yeah, I think you that that's an unbelievable world. As we get ready to wrap up here, I've got one final question for you, Ravid, is how do you see, you know, the adoption of AI and, you know, specifically generative AI, not just AI in general, right? Because a lot of people like to use the term AI but I like the term generative AI because it really does mean, you know, AI is, you know, even though there's an I in there and the I stands for intelligence, AI is fairly stupid mm-hmm. um, in general, right? Generative AI means it goes from stupid to intelligent over time because it's studying patterns. How do you see generative AI really supporting vulnerability management in 2024 and beyond? I think, you know, it's the second time that you ask me to predict something. <laughs> well, I, I like your predictions, number one. And, and number two, maybe not even prediction, but how do you see the use of AI or what's simplicity doing with generative AI? You know, so, to really so make life AI, easier. Yeah, I, th- I think that AI is, is a real promise. I think that the, the problem, the main problem with AI when it's come to vulnerability management is that most of the models today are kind of based on relatively old data, historical data, and which might not be relevant to the decision that we are about to do right now. I think as AI models will improve and we'll be able to generate more data in, in, a, quick, uh, in a quicker way, actually the ability to take a, a specific vulnerability and predict what is the risk and what is the exploitability of that vulnerability to my organization based on past information my organization, but also publicly in the world, actually can go a long way in making the organization more resilient. Just imagine you will know about a vulnerability that has a good chance to become exploitable two weeks before it's on CISAKEV. Okay? Yeah. I think think that AI 
is a well generative AI is is a good way to go in that direction. Of course, it needs a lot of data. It needs a good understanding of your environment and your assets and your infrastructure. But I think that down the road, that can be something that can actually take those millions of findings and help you to to prioritize them based on past information, uh, which is actually not not feasible through standard query languages or or, or, or the things that you do today with the with the seam or spreadsheets or, or whatever you have in place. See, I, I see generative AI as streamlining all of vulnerability management for me. I see it recognizing a vulnerability, opening a ticket, providing the explanation of the vulnerability, providing the remediation steps for it, sending right. it to the right developer, and then doing the actual follow-up. And what that does is that doesn't eliminate a job because I know already can see the comments of people going like, oh, yeah, you're just trying to get it. You don't want people, James. You just want to have AI do everything. No, but I do think that AI can reach a point where it's doing the montane simple steps and allowing the vulnerability management team to really address the more complex vulnerabilities and, and really work with the business on remediation rather than working on the vulnerability itself. Because I do see a shift, and I think we're going to see more and more of it as the, the more the board's get liability for cyber, especially what we saw with Joe Sullivan, the former CISO at Uber, but now Tim Brown at SolarWinds with the, with the SEC action against him, right. right? And the way they're holding him accountable for what's going on at SolarWinds or trying to hold him accountable for what went on at SolarWinds. I think you're going to start to see security potentially own remediation and get, I think you're going to see board of directors go, they've got to own remediation, right? Like they can't just go and speak to people to get it done, but rather every business unit's got to have someone on a remediation team that can go in and fix the stuff that comes from security. I think we're going to see that. That, that, That's my kind of forward based on, you know, what I'm seeing right now. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I specifically agree with the fact that the security team, you know, we talk about the fact that there is not enough security people or security staff, and then we are making them data feeders to, to spreadsheets. So security yeah. team need to secure the organization and something else should copy, paste, assign, update, close all those tickets and all those statuses, wherever it needs to make sure that the organization has the best picture, which is completely in sync with all the, the other tools. Security teams should secure automation should actually take care of everything else. Ravid, before we end, end the show today, talk to me a little bit about the journey of simplicity. What are you guys bringing to the market today? And, and what are you most excited about as a CPO? <laughs> well, a lot of things. So, so we in Simplicity actually trying, we were, we were building a remediation operations platform. Okay. The idea here is really to take all those tens and hundreds and thousands of millions of findings, collect information from different tools inside your organization, collect from the security team their logic about what is priority for them, what is not a priority for them, how they want to fix things. And based on that, to actually build an automated security backlog for each of the remediation teams. So imagine if instead of going top to bottom, we are able to take based on the information that we have to build for every team, what they are owning, what is the best ideal remediation plan for them, and also operate that against uh, those uh, teams 
uh, with whether it's a Jira, Jira tickets or Slack messages uh, with the tracking and with the relevant reporting. So, so, so basically, walking away from the executive team, walking away from operating the process and that are feeding the process to actually governing the process. And, and I think that can go a long way, and, and we see that with our customers, in actually scaling security remediation. Our customers are able to actually fix more because they have reduced all the overhead involved in running a vulnerability management program. So if you want, if I'll take it a, a bit a step forward, fix more and prioritize less, because if you are able to fix more, then you don't need to prioritize as you did before, because it actually allows you to secure the organization uh, even more. So this is what we do in Simplicity. We had some tremendous successes. And, you know, what I'm, of course, what I'm, as, as a product guy, the, the, the thing that I love the most is to take an old problem and solve it in a very new and unique way. For, for me, it's like, it's like, you know, if that's what I want to, to tell to myself for 2024, it will be exactly that. Uh, I, I love the passion behind the work y'all do, and I think it's really critical. So many times we focus on the shiny tool, but we don't focus on the very basics of what we need as a security team, which is, you know, vulnerability management is ABC, right? Patching is 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 the very foundation of any security program. If you've got vulnerable software, it doesn't matter what tools you add, you're going to get exploited, right? Exactly. Um, and, and we know the attackers will go in and disable all your security tools once they get in because of that vulnerability. That's their MO. So uh, just keep an eye out for that. You can find more about Simplicity in the show notes, by the way, y'all. Uh, Ravid, do you want to share? Um, and, and I'll have Ravid's LinkedIn in there as well uh, in the show notes for everyone. What's the website people can go to to learn more about Simplicity? Just go to Simplicity.io, Simplicity with double E see the simplicity simplicity io and you know learn learn more about us that's brilliant ravid thank you so much for coming on the program i really appreciate it um i hope you all had a a very interesting conversation thank you all for sticking around uh, uh with us i know we typically do these 30 we're, we're almost 45 and so i appreciate it but it wasn't boring i can tell you that much i'm i'm, I'm at the edge of my seat uh for a lot of good reasons because i think this is a topic that's uh, really, really critical and important for so many practitioners uh, to really master and get their hands on. So on behalf of the team here at CyberHub Podcast, on behalf of the team over at Simplicity and Ravid, thank you so much for uh, tuning in today. Thank you for Simplicity for their support of the program. And for all of y'all, thank you so much for tuning in this Friday. Have a great weekend and most importantly, stay cyber safe. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.